sometimes the quietest voice is the voice that actually might have the most groundbreaking idea. It's okay to not be okay. A really powerful statement. That might be the lifeline that's actually going to save somebody that day. What's one thing that often gets missed from the conversation or leaders don't touch on as often? You want to drive change. Talk to the people that you want to drive the change for. Tuvia, thank you for pulling up a seat today. In preparation for this, I found that you have one simple philosophy in life, and that is to change the world one person at a time. And I'd love to delve into that deeper into this podcast. What I love most is your career journey has been fascinating to date. Um, you started out as a flight attendant, you then progressed into law school, did other things, and then obviously have risen to the top of Goldman Sachs. What an intro. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, the... Um Flight attending was a way for me to be able to pay for school. I think folks look at me now, the position that I have, that you know I've made managing director at Goldman, and they they don't necessarily believe me when I say that actually I came from a very very working class family. Uh, my parents held down multiple jobs uh, in order to be able to to support us, um, especially as immigrants, and it. Um, the only way I could afford to do school was for me to work full time. And so I did. I, um, I took to the friendly skies uh, and was a flight attendant for many years, making my, my law degree a bit longer. I went through law school uh, wanting to, to change the world, uh, took a bit of a pivot and went to Bay Street, uh, which is the Canadian equivalent of Wall Street, um, and absolutely fell in love with it. I kind of got the bug and uh, took my legal career uh, across the world. I was in private practice in, uh, in Canada. I was in practice, private practice in London and in Moscow before I moved in-house um, and ended up practicing law for, I'd like to say it was 17 years. A long time. It's been a yeah. long time uh, before I decided it was time for a career change uh, and a career pivot. Um, and three years ago, made a, a move to move on to the business side, took on this new role uh, at Goldman, um, and it's been brilliant. I've, um, I've absolutely loved it. And before we get into that, growing up, you said family influence was really important to you, yeah. and you credited your mum a lot, actually, and as you've just said, this entrepreneurial drive that you've had, this ambition, um, you said actually came from your mother, and that, that was at a time when perhaps female entrepreneurialism wasn't spoken about as much as it is today. Um, would you say that's correct? Yeah, I, I think I would. I, I think one of my greatest strengths is that I've got this fire in my belly. And if I, you know, if I think back, I get asked kind of where does it come from? I, all I can think about is what my environment was at home. And my mother decided that, you know, she was going to break the ceiling and break the mold and uh, wanted to, to have her own business. And if I think back now, actually, her business, I think she must have had about 20, 20 employees or so, was actually an all-female business. I think they had one male uh, that worked uh, for her, but she did it, right? And she did it for many, many years. And what I realized is she never actually spoke about 
the challenges of, oh, I'm, I'm doing this, there's no other women doing what I'm doing. Um, but just seeing her do it and seeing some of the soft conversations around what her day-to-day looked like and being able to go visit her in her office and seeing an office full of women. And, and what I've taken away from that, you know, for me now as a parent myself, is that there's a certain sense of role modeling and normalizing. And the things that you talk about and that you present your day to day, whether it's to your children, whether it's to your nieces, your nephews, whatever it is, it has a huge impact because they see something in their day to day that they then feel is normalized. I love that story. And talking about having this drive that you have, um, one thing you've spoken very open about is in the workplace, it was really important for you to, to be yourself, to be authentic and to be vulnerable. But I know that hasn't always been the easiest and people look at you and think the confidence that you have now as a senior leader. Um, I saw that there were times when perhaps senior individuals throughout your career journey have tried to put you back in the closet as a gay man, have told you um, not to mention the fact you're a gay man. Um, was that a really tough time in your life? Um, I think the toughest time was when I was first first starting out. So... Um, when I graduated law school, and even thinking back to law school, there were no LGBTQ plus networks. That, that wasn't something that happened um, at university at the time. Going into the workplace, likewise, there were no such employee resource groups. Um, and you know, one of my first early experiences was um, I was interviewing uh, on Wall Street, actually, I was one of a very few number of Canadians that were flown down uh, for final interviews, and um, I was I was told by a law firm that someone like me would never succeed, um, and they didn't get into the detail of what the someone like me meant, but that was a real shocker moment for me. Um, at no point did I have anything on my CV to suggest that I was, you know, gay. But for someone to make this judgment call on me, um, that that really hurt. And I I cancelled all of my interviews after that. And that was a real, real defining moment for me um, that kept at me. And I think probably to this day still plays a part. I, I was told when, when I moved, uh, had an opportunity to go to Moscow to practice. Um, I was told that given the environment there, like I should not be out and that it wouldn't be okay to talk about in, in the office. Um, and I took a chance, right? Like I've, I realized that it could be career limiting for me, but I was not going to put myself back in the closet. Goodness knows I spent so many years trying to fight, fight my way out of the closet. Um, that I was not going to let myself down by putting myself back in there. Um, and so I didn't. I went and I said, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this as who I am. And if, if that's not okay, then I'm not the right person for this role. And so it's, it's, it's been a journey to say the least. I think one of the things that I've come to terms with in trying to understand 
how that shaped me is I recently came upon some reading on something that's called stereotype threat. And what stereotype threat talks about is, and now we're going to get into the psychology of it, but what it talks about is the fact that diverse people in diverse communities recognize that there will be certain stereotypes against them and what that means by way of are they going to be able to achieve either in an educational environment or in a work environment, right? We see with a whole bunch of diverse communities, there's a lot out there, right, that we can talk about what it means for girls in STEM, uh, what it means for girls in, in school, for example, and their performance vis-a-vis boys. We see it with, you know, diverse communities and their performance. Um, and so you go in, you go in with the stereotype of can you succeed or can you not? And what the psychology behind stereotype threat says is that when you are aware of the fact that you are different and you are aware of the fact that there are these potential stereotypes and some stereotypes are based on the fact that there's evidence and data that suggests that this is a reality, that you're going to perform differently, it increases your anxiety. And what ends up happening is it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're afraid to perform because you are afraid to fulfill the stereotype yourself. And if I look around the world as to how many out LGBTQ plus senior professionals there are, there aren't many, which makes you sometimes sit there and go, okay, but if others haven't achieved, like there's nothing special about me. If others haven't do it, why should I be able to do it? And maybe there, there is a reason. Um, and that stereotype continues to drive sometimes that nagging feeling that you may have, which drives that imposter syndrome. And one thing I have seen as a segue onto something we spoke about in our preparation was the importance of role models within the workplace and the importance of education and opportunity that flows from role modeling. As someone senior at Goldman Sachs now, do you see the power of role modeling to be an important part of your business? Being a role model, I'd almost describe it like being a lighthouse, right? That it's, you're a beacon to show people that something is achievable, right? That you can look up ahead and you can see a marker. Where I think the conversation hasn't turned is the fact that role modeling itself is not enough. And I think the obligation actually is on, on teaching. And what I mean by that is that if we just look at role models, it's, it's a fixed one point in time, right? And people can look at me and go, wow, look, he's out, he's gay, he's got a child, he's become an MD, you know, I can maybe do that too. What that doesn't show is the fact that I've struggled and it's been hard to get there. And I think what the key is that not enough people do is we don't talk about the actual teaching. And I think the best, most successful role models are the ones that are willing to turn around and be vulnerable and share all the things that did not go right and all of the struggles and the burdens on the journey. And, you know, if we think of it in a business context, you only learn from mistakes and failures, right? That's the way I think now more and more businesses are starting to learn that you need to talk about failure and celebrate failure because that's, that's how you can then actually learn from it and educate. 
And I think when it comes to role modeling and role modeling for diversity or role modeling for authenticity, I think it's incumbent on role models to actually start teaching and opening up and going, here are all the things I did and all the mistakes that I made and everything that I've learned in order to help lift others up. There's no reason any of them have to go through some of the struggles that I've been to. And so, you know, it goes back to the point that you made at the beginning around changing, you know, the world one person at a time. If I can make things easier for someone, if I can make that one day easier for them when they're really, really struggling and possibly thinking about throwing in the towel, but I've somehow helped motivate them to go, it's going to be okay, then I think that's success. Mm -hmm.